The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am so excited that today we have with us Mallory Wegeman. Mallory is an American Paralympic swimmer. Uh, she became paraplegic after an epidural injection to treat post-shingles back in 2008. But four months after becoming paralyzed, she was back in the pool with her eyes on gold medals at the 2012 Paralympic Games. She ended up winning the 50-meter freestyle events in this new Paralympic record time. Unbelievable. I'm excited to talk to her about that. But having achieved that goal, she set her eyes on an even bigger, different goal, and that was to walk again. We're going to have a conversation about how she was able to do that uh, for all things her wedding. She also has a memoir that's just come out. It's called Limitless, The Power of Hope and Resilience to Overcome Circumstance. It was published in March of this year. It's a fantastic read. And uh, in real time, in June of 2021, the U.S. announced the 34 Paralympic swimmers who would be going to the delayed 2020 Summer Paralympic Games in Tokyo. And Mallory made the team. Man, we have got some things to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mallory Wegman to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Dave, for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. And hearing you say Tokyo 2020 games, it's just like every time I hear those words, it's my the hair on my arm just stands up because I feel like these have been such a long-awaited games. And to be able to be going for my third Paralympic Games as a member of Team USA is just such an such a complete honor. So unbelievable. Number one, congratulations. But also tell me a little bit, just as we start off here. What has this experience of a delayed Olympics been like for you in a world where training towards a very specific time frame and, and, and time goal has to feel somewhat disrupted by what is the COVID delay that's uh, plaguing every all of the athletes out in Tokyo this year? Yeah. You know, these past 18 months, I think they've been, gosh, they've been so difficult for all of us and in, in very different ways. And so 
I think first it's important just to acknowledge that journey that we've all been through collectively together and that we've experienced because it has been a challenging time. I think that we've grown a lot as a result because I truly believe that adversity is where we grow. And so we've had that moment of growth over the past 18 months, but we've also been challenged. And, you know, as an athlete, it was really difficult. We went into March of 2020 and kind of each state went into their lockdowns and, and we still thought the games might go on. We didn't know what to think, but we hadn't heard about the postponement yet. And as a swimmer, I never thought I would be training for a Paralympic games without access to a pool. And so we had (laughs) to pivot and we had to adapt and do all the things that the world was left doing in March and April of 2020 But, you know, ultimately with the postponement of these games, I think we're now at a point where we're seeing different corners of our world start to recover. We're seeing some worlds still going through it, but we're also getting this moment where we get to see our world come together at a games. And like, that is such a powerful moment for us because the games always are a unifying event. They always have been. That's the spirit of the Olympic and Paralympic movement. But to do it now in 2021, after everything we've gone through, and to know that every single individual that's there has gone through this shared experience and survived, and we've made it through, and now we get to unite as one, I think is going to be more powerful than the actual performances that come out of Tokyo. Yeah, it's such an incredible thing. I was on Monday night in front of 2,000 teachers and just having a conversation about what it was to try and pivot through in-person, virtual, hybrid, all the rest as the rules of what it meant to be a teacher were being redefined. And the recognition of what you've been through as the probable reason why you are now a stronger, better teacher applies as much inside of that space for any athlete, for frankly, all of us, because I think all of us have been through this. It's not that you would have asked for these conditions that may have in fact made us stronger. But I do think at this point, we can have some gratitude in looking back at what we've had to go through and how having gone through it is complicit in why we find ourselves feeling the way we do about our more resilient, more grit filled selves. Yeah, that's so true. And it's, it's this idea. I think, you know, when we look at just adversity in our lives, I believe it's part of our evolution. It's where we explore our truths and who we are and where we discover that inner strength that we all have within us. And when we go through those things, we can't just rush back and say, well, I want to go back to normal. It's like, well, normal's an illusion. Normal's based on past experiences and that's all it is. It's not to say that that's the way. And so when we, when we lean into these these moments where we've had to pivot, like you said, I mean, teachers, goodness gracious, what they have been through and how they've had to adapt and get creative and find new ways of doing in a time that no one has a roadmap to and, and still move forward into something. Now, now we get to take that and everything we learned during that time and bring it into where we are today, which is the point. We're not supposed to, now that we're opening back up, go back to what was, we're supposed to lean into what's to become. Yeah. I I love that. There's something so interesting of like, please don't miss the opportunity to inventory a little bit of what was worth bringing back to whatever the new normal ends up looking like, because we in some ways have been given just a massive gift in the disruption that allowed us to even do the inventorying in the first place. 
I started this by doing a quick introduction of you, but before we get too far into our conversation, would you do us the favor of giving a little history yourself of kind of what your journey has been, how swimming became part of your life, and how your life in changing changed, but also maybe stayed the same in your pursuit for unlocking the gifts that you were given by our creator? Yeah, of course. So for me, we talked about how I'm a three-time Paralympian now, but I, I had to go through a pretty life-altering event to become a Paralympic athlete in the first place. I started swimming competitively when I was seven years old. I'm the baby of three girls. So swimming has always been a part of my life. My two older sisters swam, and that's just naturally how I fell into the sport. And I competed all the way through senior year of high school. And then eight months after high school graduation in January of 2008, I walked in for what was to be a routine medical procedure and I never walked out. I was left paralyzed from the waist down two months before my 19th birthday. And, you know, at that stage in my life, I had no idea what to expect. To be completely honest, my exposure to the disability community was extremely limited. And in 2008, when I looked to the society that surrounded me, I didn't see a path forward for a woman with a disability. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, would I get married? Would I have a family? Would I have a career? Would I go back to school? Like I had no idea what this path was going to be. And I learned in a very intimate way at a young age that it is very difficult to become what you don't see. And, you know, we've all heard that phrase. And I think it's hard to really put into context and understand the weight until you find yourself in a situation where society tells you there's not a place for you. And, and that was probably the hardest part of my paralysis. I mean, sure. I'm on four wheels now and I roll rather than step, but, but that's minor. I mean, that's minor compared to what I face when I wheel out the door of my home every day in the onslaught of opinions and perceptions that society has about what my worth as a person is purely because they see four wheels beneath me. And so that was, that was a wake up call in a lot of ways. And I'm so fortunate that I found my way back to the sport of swimming because in a lot of ways that gave me a place to process just two and a half Mm. months after my paralysis, I was back in a pool and I didn't start swimming thinking like, Oh, I'm going to go win gold medals and break world records and do all that. I just needed a place to turn to. I needed a place to process and heal and to find a way to create my own closure to that moment on January 21st. And, and that's what the pool gave me. And now 13 years later, here I am doing it as a part of my career. It's my craft. It's what I love almost, well, nearly more than anything else in this world. I say nearly because my husband is literally the best human being ever. And so I can't quite say that anymore, but it's uh it's a big part of who I am. And it's interesting because, you know, early on, I always said, Oh, I just, I just want to go back to January 20th, 2008. And now 13 years, it's like, I wouldn't change it for the world anymore. Yeah. Isn't it interesting the the way that the things that in the beginning of it, redefining our identity, the way that it compromises, maybe our ego, the way that it has just questioning our self-worth in, in like time with some perspective can become the thing that we have often the most pride for or am so are, are even more comfortable in what it means in our like relationship with ourself. In my next book, I was writing about how so many people that I admire have been through harrowing things 
And you, I mean, you can go through from Oprah and her upbringing or Michael Jordan being cut from his basketball team or Bill Gates' first business failing or Disney not getting loans. Like there's a whole bunch of examples. But in the Bible, there was also this example of, you know, Job or Jonah or a whole host of other people. And I referenced Lazarus, who actually had to die <laughs> to be brought back to life. And I remember at the beginning of what for me was a very hard year of my life, I found myself asking what parts of my life might not ha might have to die so that I might be brought back to life. And as it turned out, identity, ego, normalcy, comfort, all of those things had to in some ways go away so that I could become what I was inevitably meant to become. And I like, I see you standing so clearly in the purpose of your life, even if that purpose wasn't something that you would have necessarily chosen 13 years ago, here you are. It's so true. And it's that, it's that understanding that those moments and circumstances don't define us, but who we choose to be following ultimately does. And, and it's like, I would never have chosen January 21st, 2008. That is not a path anybody just chooses and signs up for and says, yeah, let's go have a go at this. Let's go through trauma. Let's sign up for it. Let's, let's navigate through the depths of loss. Let's do that. It's like, we don't sign up for that, but it's inevitable. It's part of life and, and there's no yeah. way to run from it. And so when it does happen, because it, it will happen at some point in all of our lives, how do we, how do we hold space for it? And how do we let ourselves navigate through it rather than rush to this idea that we just need to move on from it? Because I don't think we move on. I, I think we learn to move forward with it. But at the end of the day, January 21st, 2008, while it doesn't define me, it will forever be a fabric of my being. It will be a part of who I am because it is part of my identity now. And, and frankly, it's a part that I'm super proud of because I've done so much more on four wheels than I ever did on two feet. And I'm more anchored in purpose now than I ever was before. And I have a stronger sense of who I am as a person than I ever did prior because I had to explore that when I was moving through. And that's part of the process of moving through. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odyssey podcast. You referenced this in Limitless. Uh, there's, there's 
an equippedness that comes in having been through what you've been through that has arguably better prepared you for the inevitability of those headwinds, right? You're, you're not now free and clear because you've had something 13 years ago bad happen. You are, like the rest of us, going to have other bad things happen in life. And yet, because of what you've been through, I think it just prepares you even better. And for anyone who's been through hard times, if there are silver linings, it's often that you are now equipped with something in mindset or greater resilience that gives you somewhat of an unfair advantage to handle the inevitability of handling it when it comes up next. It does. And it's it's one of those things, too, that I think it really taught me that healing is not chronological and we have to give mm-hmm. grace. And and I had I had the I call it my boomerang effect where in 2014, after the London 2012 games, I, I won gold in 2012 and I was set on 2016 the minute I got stateside, like I was ready to go. We're going for another games. And halfway through the four-year quad, I had a severe injury to my left arm and it resulted in permanent nerve damage. And I basically had to start over again. It was square one. I, I couldn't for the first handful of months, I had basically no movement. I couldn't drive for a year and a half because I drive with hand controls and I need two strong arms to do what I do. And I didn't have two strong arms anymore. And like everything just went right back. And it was almost harder the second time because I had the comparison of what living life with my wheelchair looked like prior to the arm injury and now what it was like after. And the difference in my way of living was almost just as stark, if not more, as that transition from walking to being paralyzed was. And it was really startling, but I think the biggest thing that I found comfort in was to what you're talking about is when we go through adversity, we're we're equipped now for the second round or the third round or the fourth round, however many rounds we go through. And while it was harder in a lot of ways, I had the understanding of the lessons my paralysis taught me. I knew that I had to give myself grace. I knew that there wasn't a timeline in which we heal. I knew that it's not this chronological effect where like, okay, it's been six months, time to get over it. Now you're supposed to be happy. It's like, no, it might be 13 years. And on a random Tuesday, it hits me square in the face and knocks me on my ass. And that's okay. And, and we got to give ourselves a little grace in that. And it could be a week later and we could find joy and that's okay. Because we as humans can simultaneously feel two things at once. Like I didn't need to just be sad after I was paralyzed. I could also be happy when I saw myself in a mirror for the first time and was able to brush my teeth on my own without help. Like I could find a moment of joy in something small and simple, even though my world was filled with loss and heartbreak. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, I think anyone who's listening can relate to number one, it is a nonlinear process, whether it's grief or anything else. There are great days that are followed by a couple of bad ones before you get back to good ones that there is this ability for us as humans to hold both joy and sadness, grief and progress, that like all of it. But also I do, I do love that I've heard you talk about the idea that it's not even so much the moments that define us, but it's how we respond to those moments, how we choose to move forward that ultimately defines us. And this ends up then becoming a choice in many respects. As you have the inevitable setback, you had a choice when your arm was injured. If you wanted to retreat into a cave or push forward and create a, a comeback story and you chose the latter and everything's better because. It is a choice. And and it's interesting because that choice, even if it's as simple as getting up tomorrow, it sets pace. So that choice to get up tomorrow when you're in the depths of your loss or your trauma or your adversity 
it just set the pace for what you're going to do two days from now and next week and next month. And when you consistently make that choice, it, it sets you up for what's to come. And, and sometimes that's the hardest, those little simple choices right in that moment of it all. It's the hardest choice to make, but creating consistency in that is so important. And it's like, and at first you, you have to show up for yourself. You have to, because we all deserve that. Like we have to give ourselves that moment to say, I deserve to fight for myself. I'm worthy of fighting for. And, and then at some point it progresses and you realize that, well, you now have the strength, you get to show up for other people around you. And that gets to be your motivator. And I think that it really does come down to the choices. And it's not to say that every choice is going to be the right choice. And it's not to say you're not going to have setbacks or days aren't going to be challenging, but it is to say that I think when we know what our why is, when we know why is it that we're going to get up tomorrow, it makes that choice a little bit easier. It gives it a purpose and it makes it about something bigger than just ourselves in that moment. And it makes that moment about something bigger than our grief or our loss or our trauma or our adversity. And so that was a big part of healing for my paralysis. That was a huge part of healing for my arm injury. And it's how I'm where I'm at today because I've chose to just simply get up. And sometimes yeah. that's the hardest thing to do. In real time, the episode that's out for the show this week, it came out yesterday, is with Lolo Jones. And she, as a hurdler, among other things, we were having this conversation about the idea that she's training for, you know, multiple years of time for what ends up being a 12-second race. And I think of the analogy of like training in your life, whether it's mindset or habits or routines or the people you're surrounding yourself with for the ability to make that right decision in a 12 second window, when you don't want to get up, when you don't want to have to deal with the self-doubt of the critic or the opinions of other people or whatever it ends up being and the decision to do it anyway in that 12 seconds being the difference in everything. And so I just, I love this idea that it's a choice. And I think too, the more that you end up making that choice, it is a momentum thing that if you, if you keep making the choice, you'll keep making the choice. It certainly is. And it's, it's crazy. You talk about that because, you know, in real time, it's been, we did the math yesterday for something I was doing. It's been 3,246 days since I sat atop the Paralympic podium last which means for 3,246 days, I've been dreaming of that same dream and fighting for it day in and day out. And that is a long time to fight for one dream. <laughs> like maybe it makes me a little bit of crazy. I'm not too sure, but it's within that time, there's been a million reasons I could have gracefully hung my suit up. I had many outs to say, you know, I'm a Paralympic gold medalist. I've hit the top of my career. I've won an SB, I've broken world records. I've done what I came to do in sport. I can hang my suit up and I can retire and say it was a great career, but I didn't. I kept fighting and I fought through years of losing. I fought for through years of not making podiums. I fought through years of doubt because I knew in me that I still loved the sports more than almost anything in this world. And I knew I had more to give. And so I kept fighting because I believed at the end of the day, in the long run, that was going to be the best decision. It doesn't mean it's easy by any means. And there's been a lot of life that's happened in those 3,000 some odd days. But on August 27th, I'm going to get behind a starting block in Tokyo. And I'm going to show up knowing every single thing I've continued to fight for through all of that, through every adversity that's come my way in that time, through every high I've experienced. And, and understand that the reason I did it is because that moment isn't even about me anymore. 
It's about that path that I can represent. And it's about knowing that that 18 year old girl who was paralyzed and terrified of where her place in society was, has now created a life that hopefully can be a path for someone else coming into this world, asking them that themselves that question, like knowing that behind those starting blocks, whatever happens between that time when my hand meets the wall, the outcome doesn't really matter anymore. Like I've already done the work and, and whatever happens when I finish, whether it's a gold medal or a podium finish or not, it, it, it doesn't matter really because we never started this fight for one specific outcome. We started this fight because of the bigger picture that we believe in. So this episode is so good and it's so connected to the reason why this show exists. Like the idea of the show is, can we create an empathy bridge between somebody's experience that may be different than ours so that we can, in putting ourselves in their shoes for a day, understand what it might be like. If you as a listener have ever heard the idea, representation matters, but didn't really totally understand what it means to want to fight for representation. Could you imagine being in Mallory's shoes, 18 years old, wondering what future looks like when there aren't a ton of role models for people in chairs doing the things that she may in fact have passion for. And this as a real representation, 13 years later, you're gonna be on starting blocks so that you can represent for anyone who ends up finding themselves inside a chair or otherwise that no one gets to define what your limits might be and that there is a place for you in the pool or frankly anywhere else. And I just, I love that. That's what gets me up every day, Dave. It's, and, and it's crazy how in these 13 years, you develop a little bit of tough skin, but you'd be amazed the stuff that I, that's said to me, that's said to my husband. I mean, my husband on nearly a weekly basis, probably more frequently pre-COVID, out more, but nearly a weekly basis, we'll get comments said to him of like, how wonderful is it that you sacrifice love to f- sacrifice your future to follow your heart and be with her. Like implying that he gave so much of his life up to be with me because I'm in a wheelchair. And it's like, it's just not that way. But we in society, we form our perceptions based on what we see. And if we don't have representation, we don't see it. So we don't know how to perceive it. And, And it's just this trickle effect. It happens for myself and anyone in the disability community. If we don't see it, we don't see where our place in society is. And for people who aren't in the disability community, if they don't see it, they don't see how disability fits into our society. And so when they see someone with a disability, they don't know what to think because they've never seen it, right? Like representation is critical to how we perceive our surroundings. And that's why it is so important. And I think that if if my biggest thing could be to anyone and anyone even listening, you talk about that empathy is understanding that living with a disability doesn't mean we're broken. Living with a disability isn't something to be pitied or wished away because frankly, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry I'm paralyzed. Like, I'm just not. I'm so stinking happy. I understand my purpose. I understand my path in life. I'm surrounded by love. Like, I'm not sorry. You don't need to be sorry for me. You just need to understand that I'm worthy of being accepted for all I am, just as you're worthy for being accepted for all you are. And when we can come to that middle ground and understand that, then we can all create more unity amongst each other and have a more inclusive society as an entirety. This is going to be, this is maybe a crazy question. I'm not even sure if we'll air this because I don't know how to ask it in the right way. But 
I wonder if on the other side of this coin, right? Like there are people that have their preconceived notions of what life must be like for you or your husband or whatever it might be. But is there anything in your wheelchair being visible that ends up being a superpower relative to the non-wheelchair using human who ultimately has a quote unquote wheelchair in their life, but it's hidden because it's inside that makes it easier for you to navigate the world or work through, you know, any of it? Or is that just a thing I've, I I don't know, like, I'm, I'm curious if you think there's any advantage to people being able to see the thing on the outside when they in fact may be struggling with something that's hidden on the inside. I think that's a great question. And I think that sparks a really good conversation about visible and invisible disabilities, if you will, right? And whether it's a wheelchair, whether it's a prosthetic, whatever it might be, if your thing that you carry is visual for the world to see, I think there's a blessing. And I think sometimes then there's also a curse. And the blessing is people have a moment to take you at face value and give you that extra bit of grace in a moment. Whereas if you're moving about this world and I can't see your thing, I can't see the invisible disability you battle every day. I can't see your trauma. I can't see whatever it is. Unfortunately, our society is quick to react in moments and not extend empathy and grace and understanding. And so in that moment, the likelihood, if you put myself and say you next to each other and we're, we're by each other, the likelihood that you, Dave, are going to get the grace that I'm going to get is a lot different. But that's also the other side of the coin is you can walk into a grocery store and move along with your day. And I wheel into a grocery store, pushing my shopping cart, going through produce. And I get a gentleman who comes up to me and says, oh, it must just be so miserable to live life like that. Oh, And it's like, yeah. I'm literally picking out limes here, buddy. Like, can we move on with our day? Like, what are we doing? Why? Right. So there's, there's the two sides of that conversation. And, and I think it just comes down to the same core part of it is regardless of what it is, why can't we just all extend a little extra empathy and grace? Like has the past 18 months taught us nothing? We're all battling something. We're all carrying something. Like I have my story of January 21st, 2008 and my trauma. You have your stories and every listener has their own. And so if we realize like, wow, that's our journey. When we go out into the world, every single person around us has their version of that journey as well in their life maybe we should be a little more kind. Yeah. Yeah. The, the invisible disability thing as a prerequisite for the possibility of extending grace, even on the days where we feel like that person may be deserving is an important thing for, I think all of us just to keep in the back of our mind. We have no concept of what anyone is actually going through. And there's something beautiful just in that reminder. When, when you first have this conversation, Hey, we have some bad news for you. You are not leaving here on your two feet. I'm going to guess that you had to go through, like anyone might, the questions of why and, you know, why, why, why would this hard thing happen to this good person? You're kind of like grappling with it. I know you have a family motto that is good overcomes. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about first that kind of reaction to the news and how this family motto of good overcomes comes into play in your processing the, the grieving, but also the adjusting to your new normal. Yeah. 
That news, it, it was interesting with just how my paralysis happened. It, it was an evolution. It, it took time. It happened kind of over a period of a few weeks, right? And so realizing kind of what life was going to be was, was a slow progress. And, and frankly, it was really tough. I, I didn't just adjust like that. I mean, it, it was a lot of why me, a lot of what if. Don't we all know what that feels like when we hit our own moments? We just go straight to that. It's like our natural knee-jerk reaction. Why is this happening to me, right? And and so we move to that really fast, rightfully so, in those depths. And I think the one thing that helped was, for whatever reason, I had the wherewithal to pick up a journal. And my first journal is four days after my paralysis. And Mm. That journaling and that act of going somewhere and putting thoughts on a paper actually really made a difference for how I was able to process and ask those questions. And a lot of them were rooted in just the way in which I was paralyzed didn't make sense to me. Frankly, it's been 13 years. It still doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't matter because it is what it is and it's the life I'm living now. But I I do, I have a really supportive community and And my mom always has said, good overcomes. And my dad has always told us, you're the best. You can make a difference and you can change the world. So you take two parents like that and you bring them together and you go through something like this. And and I feel like when you have that level of support, you're bound to move through it. You're bound to get through it because you have the people around you necessary to help get you through, no matter how cumbersome it might be at times. And, and I also think there was a perspective of we had been through a lot prior to my paralysis. And so, you know, we had fought through a life and death situation with, with one of our family members. And so when this happened, it was like, okay, like this is, this is really tough. This is, this is extremely challenging, but I'm not laying in this hospital bed every day fighting for my life. And, and like that just in and of itself And not to go into like the toxicity of that mindset of like, oh, it can always be worse because that guilts us into thinking what we're going through isn't enough to warrant us being sad or angry or frustrated. But in my personal experience of what I'd gone through my life to our conversation earlier of we get those tools to equip us for the next time, I had already gone through something that gave me tools to equip me a little bit for when I was paralyzed and I wasn't starting at zero in that in that journey. Well, I know that this idea of overcoming is a thread through the work that you do, be it in inspiring people on social or standing there, rolling on stages. Can I say standing on stages? Yeah. Uh, Dave, put your, <laughs> take your foot out of your mouth. You know, inspiring people as a motivational speaker. And certainly now in the book that you've written, you've written this book, Limitless, The Power of Hope and Resilience to uh, Overcome Circumstance. And it's just recently come out. It's a fantastic read. But talk a little bit about what the book is, what you hope for a reader to get from the book, and what the motivation to write the book was. Well, first of all, you can say stand and you can say walk. Because in Limitless, when my husband proposed to me, I talked about how we went for a walk down the beach. And somebody in edit was like, but did you go for a walk? Like, can we say walk? I was like, it's me. I can say walk. We're going to say walk. Let's do this. (laughs) So I still say it like, let's go for a walk. And I think people who don't know me when I say it in their company, they're like, can we say, let's go for a walk with Mal when she's rolling? Like how literal do we have to be with this conversation? So I say it all the time, but limitless for me, I think so much of that motivation came from the fact that I knew how much pain 18 year old me was in. I knew what that moment signified in my life and the journey that it put me on. 
And I, I deeply had an awareness to understanding that we all have those moments. We all have sudden moments of impact in our lives. And for me, I, I, for years was looking for a way to give purpose to January 21st, 2008. And so when it came time for limitless, my motivation was if I can give that day meaning by allowing all of the things that I've learned as a result of what I navigated through to be put into a book and handed to people as a way to help them honor their own journey and explore their truths and find their inner strength and their resilience that they have within as they overcome circumstances in their lives. And like, that's what it's about. If limitless can make its way into one person's hands and do that in a meaningful way that it actually has an impact and empowers them in their life. To me, that gives January 21st, 2008 meaning. That means the pain I went through wasn't for nothing. And so I think that really is how Limitless came to life. And, and it was such a powerful way to, to share my journey. And it was really rooted in my journals. When I picked up that journal four days after my paralysis, I started journaling and I just kept going. And through 2020, as the world shut down, I kept writing Limitless and I got lost here in this office when I wasn't training and I was just surrounded by my journals, years of journals that I'd never gone back and read. And I found some days I was read, writing three, four times a day, just trying to process. And, and I was asking these questions and, and trying to understand it and, you know, finding the courage to forgive and creating my own closure and realizing that healing is not chronological and all these things that were spelled out in years of journals. And, and in there, that understanding that like, that's, that's a universal feeling. We all go through moments that leave us asking those same questions. And so I really wanted to share my story in a way that wasn't just, you know, telling it, but really sharing it. So I could hopefully through it, empower other people. There's something so cathartic about putting a pen to paper in a journey like this. And I, I'm speaking in part out of experience this last 18 months has been the hardest of my entire life and the best of my entire life. But the best came in part because of the breakthroughs that would usually happen as I was sitting on a rock in nature, writing into a notebook with no agenda, or as I was writing this book that for me comes out later this year, like I, 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 I the gift of the deadline ended up forcing me as both the therapist and the patient in so much of the journal work. I just, I love it so much. So congratulations on having written the book. I'm, I've seen so much great feedback about it. And if you haven't, uh, as a listener, grab the book. We're going to put a link to the book in the show notes. Will you please tell the story of how you walked again for your wedding? Because this is the greatest. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. So my husband and I got married after the Rio 2016 games, which was a very strategic decision for two reasons. One, there was no way I could plan a wedding before Rio. And two, and I shouldn't say I, because it was very much a we thing. Like, I don't think there was a single decision that we didn't make together in wedding planning. And I loved it. He was so hands-on. And two, I wanted to walk down the aisle and we needed time to figure out how that was going to happen. So I used custom carbon fiber leg braces that go from the bottom of my foot all the way up to my hip. And I spent the better part of two and a half months after Rio in physical therapy, learning how to figure out like, okay, it's, it's possible to use leg braces as a spinal cord injury and walk. We knew that we knew I could do it, but could I do it with a wedding gown on? 
because I can't feel my feet. And if I can't see my feet, how do I know where my feet are? Like this was the, this was the thing we had to solve for. And I wanted to walk with my dad. And then of course I upped the ante and I wanted to walk arm in arm with my dad. So I had a forearm crutch in one arm and I was one in arm in arm with my dad on the other arm. So long and short, we, we got to the point after a very long series of physical therapy appointments, figuring this out. My PTs were at our wedding with me and I got to walk arm in arm with my dad who was in the room with me the day I was paralyzed and he was mm. the last person to see me walk. And so we got to link arms in the church and walk down the aisle. And we, we joke constantly. He says, He's the most spoiled dad out there because every dad just wants to savor that moment as long as they can going down the aisle. And he got five minutes of it because it took us five minutes to go 75 feet. (laughs) So (laughs) we got all of Canon and D on the strings and dad got to savor every moment. And I got to look to my husband at the end of the aisle who I met after my injury, who, you know, really hadn't ever seen me walk, but in physical therapy practicing for this. And I got to know that the man I was walking to didn't care how I got there. Like I wasn't walking because I needed to walk to be whole. I was walking because I always dreamed of walking arm in arm down the aisle with my dad. And I didn't want to give power to January 21st, 2008 to take that. And so I chose that that's what I was going to do. And as a result, I got to stand and look eye to eye with my husband as we said our vows. And then we got to walk arm in arm for the first time as we made our way down the aisle as husband and wife. And it was a beautiful day. And I love our wedding so much because we incorporated that special moment, but we also celebrated the side of me that's part of my identity now, which is my wheelchair. So, you know, as a lady, I got two wedding dresses. I had my wheelchair dress and my walking dress. And we made each moment extremely special. And, and it was for me, just that symbolism that we have a choice. We get to choose how our story goes. And just because I was paralyzed, didn't mean that had to stop me from having that moment that I'd always dreamed of. It didn't mean it had to stop me from getting married. I mean, goodness, Dave, for years, I was like, how am I ever going to find somebody who wants to be with me? Now I think about that. It's like, how sad is that? But I didn't love myself yet. I didn't love myself and my new identity yet. And then I, I began to, and now as a result, I've, I've built this life with, with this man who is remarkable, who I would have never known had this not happened. And so walking down the aisle on our wedding day was extremely special. And it was such a beautiful way to start our journey together. Oh, let's go. So it's such a cool story. If you can't, uh, if you listen to that and don't have a smile on your face, I want you to go to the doctor immediately and get checked. Something is not, is not working right. I do love to, one of the things you said, it wasn't until you could love yourself and your new identity that you were open and available for the kind of love you deserved or something along those lines. Like whoever needed to hear that today, right? Like if you want that love, it starts with you. Like you've got to be able to love all of the parts of you, radical acceptance of the stuff that isn't great and, and, and just love, love, love the situation that you find yourself in, even if it's not something that you may have signed up for. You are close to Tokyo. Like what is, what is happening between now we're shooting this uh, July 23rd, like what's happening in the next month's worth of time, month and a half's worth of time. So the fun thing is today in real time is Olympic opening ceremonies. So that is happening. And that also means for all of us Paralympic athletes that are still stateside, we are over the moon because it means we're next. And we have been waiting five years for this moment. 
And so we are so excited. We, our team leaves three weeks from tomorrow to head into Japan and opening ceremonies are August 24th. My first race is August 27th. I'll be racing six races in Tokyo. My, my very brief humble brag is I'm first in the world in three of my six events. Um, so Let's go. In, in a really nice spot right now. I'm top three in the other two and I'm climbing the rankings. I'm sixth, I believe in my six events. So we have some very ambitious goals for Tokyo. We are beyond excited. I tell my husband every day, I'm like, we got to make this worth it because we postponed having kids for this. So mama's on a mission. Like this is baby Tokyo right now. I am on a mission, but we are, we're so excited. I think these games, as I said earlier, are going to be so remarkable just in the fact that we get to see our world come together. And I think yeah. that's going to change just everything about it. Right. Like, you know, right now training is insane. It's like, we're making lemonade, fresh lemonade, and we've squeezed all the lemons, all the juice is gone. And we're grabbing the rinds and seeing like, is there anything left? Like, we're just still trying to get that last little bit to see if there's anything left in the tank to build strength on. And, and we're, we're doing it. And it's so much fun doing that part. And it's also so much fun doing that part, knowing that every day you get up and you feel like you've been beaten and you get up and say, Oh, let's go do it again. You're there's a reason for it. Right. And so I think that's fun, right? There's the competitive drive, but then there's just also that kind of holistic understanding that this is about something so much bigger. And both of those things are equally motivating. You and I are uh, on opposite ends of a spectrum. I'm going to be super honest. I am also training. Uh, I am doing my first Olympic triathlon next Saturday. And I, I actually sent a picture to my coach yesterday asking if I would be disqualified by event hosts for wearing my wetsuit that has the floaty in my chest area because swimming is not my love language. I am not like you are a swimmer. Congratulations. And you're like, obviously a fantastic swimmer with being highly ranked as you are. I am not a swimmer. And my goal is not to finish on a podium. My goal is to finish on the side of a river where there's land. Like I just want to not die. So uh, I will try to be inspired by you. Believe that I myself am limitless and hope that the uh, organizers of, the, of this event don't find my floaty so that I can uh, float on down the old river. God bless uh, you. Did you learn how to swim just for this or did you know how to swim before? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I even think that giving me credit for learning how to swim for this might maybe a little more than what I am deserving of. I have never, ever been a swimmer. I've never swam like I, this is not professional, but like in any kind of organized event ever. And when you think about form and style, uh, I have not yet been introduced to either. So I am, I am like just trying to keep this hulk of a body above water for the mile, 1.2 miles that I am trying to swim. Yeah. Not trying, going to swim next Saturday. 1.2 miles. Yeah. Yeah. Is it at least downstream? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Trust me. I, I picked, no, I picked intentionally that my first triathlon would be in one where the water was running downstream and that I was a part of the current going in that direction. All right. Well, cheating, next, time cheating in in every your, way possible. next time I'm in your neck of the woods, I'll, uh, we'll meet up. I'll teach you how to swim. We'll go for it. This is the most terrifying thing that's ever been said inside of an interview. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, let's wrap this baby up. Uh, if someone has not yet become a follower of yours, where on the interwebs do you live? What's your social handles? How can people learn more about you and follow you, cheer you on through Tokyo and everything else? Yes, I am most active on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter uh, and Facebook, but Instagram at Mallory Wegman is the best place to find me. And as Dave has said many a times again, I recently released my book Limitless in March of this year. And so if you are interested, be sure to check that out at MalloryWegmanBook.com. Awesome. All right. We finish each episode with the same question to all our guests. If there was a single key takeaway that you could leave our audience with, could be an idea, a question, an actionable piece of advice, what is the single thing that you would let our listeners walk away with today? I think the biggest thing I would leave all of you guys with is just understanding that our now doesn't define what's to come. Where you're at Mm. right now in this moment doesn't define what's to come next year, 10 years from now, next week. You get a choice in that. And this journey is ever evolving and you are destined for greatness, regardless of what you feel in this moment. Bless. Hear those words. Let them sink in. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. All of us are thanking you to Mallory Wegeman for an awesome conversation. We will be wishing you well as August sees you once again in the pool representing this U.S. of A. Thank you so much, Mallory, for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. All right, listener, if you enjoyed this episode and how could you have not take a picture in real time of this episode Tag myself, tag Mallory. Let us know something that you took away and share it with literally every human being you've ever met in your entire life. Between now and next week's episode, don't you let the circumstances of today define what is possible for your life. You are limitless. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.